Good evening, New Hope Eugene. Discover you, your strengths, your spiritual gifts. Uh, and then the third session is how those come together into what we describe and call our actionable calling. That's August 8th. Get signed up. It's going to be a great time. We'll go actually 8.30 to 1. And uh, I think for many of us, that, that is our next step. It's a careful exploration of, of who you are. So we're going to be in 1 Peter. If you're here for the first time, welcome. Great to have you. If you're back a second time, welcome back. For those tuning in online, welcome to you as well. Uh, my name is Brandon. I have the wonderful privilege of uh, being one of the pastors on staff. And uh, we'll get our pastor back, our lead pastor back in a few weeks. Until then, you have to uh, bear with me. You're just going to have to bite down hard and uh, put up with uh, Pastor Brandon for the next couple of weeks. In 1993, uh, one of the greatest ad campaigns got started with just two words, got milk. Some of you remember the uh, professional athletes and celebs with uh, milk mustaches. This act, I don't know if you know this or not, but it came out of California. Uh, it was a response to some plummeting milk sales. And uh, by 2002, it was recognized as one of the greatest ad campaigns in history by USA Today. Uh, I learned some interesting facts about milk this week as I was uh, studying. Uh, the Roman Emperor Nero's second wife, Pompeia, actually kept 500 donkeys around to provide milk for her baths. Just in case you wanted to know that little piece of history, uh, researchers in the UK discovered that cows with names produce 3 to 4% more milk than cows without names. If you ever get a cow, make sure you name your cow. The average cow produces 6.3 gallons of milk per day or 350,000 glasses over a lifetime. And this one I thought was uh, important. A, cow, a cow's udder holds 25 to 50 gallons of milk, which I thought was utterly amazing. Okay, I'm not here to talk about bathing in milk or naming your cows. Actually, our big idea uh, tonight is this, just as a newborn baby craves milk, just as a newborn baby craves milk, so too is the Christ follower to crave the pure milk of the word. That's our big idea for this weekend. Our big idea for the series is by way of reminder, and if you're kind of parachuting into our series, this is week four in our series, Our Living Hope. Uh, we're actually, we actually just finished chapter one of First Peter last week. We took three weeks to do that. You can go back and listen to it. We begin chapter two, just the first four verses tonight. It's our big idea for the series. In Jesus, we have a living hope that rewrites and redefines our identity by rewriting and redefining our past, present, and future. You'll remember that First Peter, uh, this, this, uh, book of the New Testament that's known as the lovely letter. It, it, it has this winsome way about it. It was written by Peter to send just soaring encouragement into the sails of some Christ followers who were really struggling in the region. They were, they were hit by the fires of persecution. They were trying to gain their footing. They're, they're, some of them are, are in fear of their lives. Some of them are ready to abandon their faith. And Peter sits down to write them a letter to encourage them on the journey. They were disoriented. I wonder if we can apply any of this to what we're walking through today in our lives and around the world. 
This week, the title of my message is Clean Up, Fill Up, and Come to Jesus. Clean Up, Fill Up, and Come to Jesus. Let's read 1 Peter 2, 1 through 4. I'm actually reading from the New King James Version tonight, and then we're going to listen to it in the message version. Uh, Peter says, therefore, we'll come back to that word, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. And precious. Listen to it in the message. It goes like this So clean house, make a clean sweep of all malice and pretense, envy and hurtful talk. You've had a taste of God, Peter says. Now, like infants at the breast, drink deep of God's pure kindness. Then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. He says this, verse 4, welcome to the living stone. I like that. Welcome to the living stone, the source of life. The workman took one look and threw it out. God set it in the place of honor. Peter begins our text with the word therefore. Now Bible reading 101, Bible interpretation 101 is anytime you come across a therefore, we need to find out why it's great. Awesome. So hermeneutics 101, why is this word there? What's interesting is this, to Peter, this is just a long letter, right? We're the ones who put in, when we assemble the Bible, we put in the chapters and verses so we can reference things, but he's actually going back to, he's, it's a continuation of a thought from chapter one that we studied last week. First Peter 1 23, for instance, says this, having been born again. So the topic is salvation, which we talked about last week. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then he comes along and he says, in response to this, because of this, therefore, here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Number one, clean up. He says, laying aside, and he gives this interesting list of five things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. I love how the message put it tonight. So clean house. Make a clean sweep of these things in your life. That word in the original language is actually to put away, to get rid of, like taking off old garments, soiled garments. This was a common word uh, used in the New Testament. It is a common word used in the New Testament. An illustration of this is actually early Christians in the first few centuries of the church, they would actually, this sounds a little weird to us, but when someone was going to be baptized, they would actually take off their old clothes. They would baptize them without clothes. To create this imagery, a reminder to them and those who were around, family members, those who were there celebrating that, that that old person is gone. Those soiled garments, all of that is gone. And then when they came up out of the waters of baptism, they would put on a new white robe, symbolic of their relationship, their purity in Christ. Peter says to put away these things. Sometimes church... um, I like to work with my hands, and so maybe I'm out working on, I'm not a mechanic, but sometimes I work on my vehicles and uh, out in the yard, and um, I have grass stains, and and I'll come barging through the door, and Joy hears me, and it's like she has one eye on whatever she's doing, but she's got one eye on me, right? She wants to make sure that all the stink and all the soiled clothes is off along 
with all that. Put this stuff away. Take it off. And I want us to see, you hope I want us to see that Peter beckons us to the process that we have a decision to make. If we didn't have a decision to make, there's no reason for him to say this. But he says, listen, he's writing to Christ followers. And they still have these things at at some degree, to some level, attached to their life that they're choosing not to take off these soiled parts of their former life. So do we. So do we. That sounds like a song or sounds like I'm speaking in French or something. We too, church, we too have the same decision to make. Are we going to take these garments off or not? Now, he uses a couple of metaphors and I want us to see them. Um, Anytime a writer uses a metaphor, it breaks down always at some level. But he uses a couple of pretty good ones. One is that of taking off clothes that we just uh, talked about, kind of soiled clothes. Take this stuff off of your life. That's number one. Number two that of food, what we ingest, our food cravings. Um, I want you to imagine with me sitting down, you've saved your money. You're going to sit down at a four or five course meal. You know, you're going to take your your spouse, you're going to take your family. It's a special occasion and you're going to pick a really expensive restaurant and you're going to go enjoy the evening. My wife, Joy, and I did this last year for our 25th wedding anniversary. We were in the area of Disneyland, so we decided to stop by. And before we went, we talked with kind of a a Disneyland nerd (laughs) in our life. And uh, she said, listen, have you heard of a a place called the Napa Rose? I said, no, it's a restaurant in in Disneyland area. I said, no, I've never heard of it. She said, listen, it's in the Grand California so are you kidding me? I've never even heard of this. So no, you have to go. You have to book uh, reservations in advance. You need to save some money because it's expensive, but it'll be one of the best dining experiences you've ever had. You need to sit at something called uh, the, the, the chef's counter or the chef's table, and you need seats five and six. Very specific. So I called two months in advance, sure enough, and she said, listen, when you call, you need to say this because they're going to say this to you about your reservation, and then you tell them this. So I just followed the instructions all the way down. I got seats five and six at the chef's counter. It was the most amazing culinary experience I've ever had in my life, the most amazing meal I've ever had in my life. Walked in. We, we sat down at the, in fact, I think we might have pictures up here. We sat down at what's called the chef's table. And, and what that is, is you're sitting at the counter overlooking the kitchen. It was like, if you've ever seen the cartoon, it was like Ratatouille, except you could see into the kitchen. And all the chefs and the, and the, the pastry chef and the executive chef, uh, the sous chef, all the, the line cooks, it was amazing. Minus any rats in the kitchen, but it was, uh, so the, the executive chef comes over. And she interviews us. There's no menus, nothing. Interviews us. Hey, what, what do you like? What do you not like? Any allergies? Any cravings tonight? What would you like to eat? Uh, and, and it's kind of a surprise. Whatever comes out is what comes out in this. I think it was like a five-course meal uh, culminating in dessert. And we're sitting right next to, so yeah, this is a bit of a view, but it was, we had a panoramic view. Up on that, up by Joy's head, that, that table, that was actually the dessert chef right there. And all evening long, these desserts are coming out across that table to the, to the rest of the, of the restaurant. 
It was absolutely amazing. Now, I want you to imagine with me, friends. I want you to imagine. Someone were to walk by Joy and I were sitting there, maybe at about course two, waiting for course three to come out. And they have a bag of groceries, junk food in there, licorice, soda, uh, Cheetos, Doritos, Oreos, all kinds of stuff. And they plop it down, hand it to Joy and I. And we've been rocking around Disneyland all day, right? We're hungry. And so we just begin to throw that junk food down. Fill up on the junk food, leaving no room for this wonderful, beautiful meal that's being prepared by these world-class chefs. Peter indicates, friends, Brandon, what's the point? Peter indicates to us in this text that there are things that we can fill up in our lives that take away from desiring the pure milk of the word. What's that list? These five things, interesting list. He says, malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking malice. This is a word that uh, we don't use a whole lot. In fact, I can't remember the last time I heard someone use this word Malice. It's, it's actually a really full word. It's, it's malignity. It's wickedness. It's depravity. It's evil, trouble, calamity, misfortune. It can render down to cowardice and faint-heartedness. It's a vice. It's moral badness, this word malice. I wonder, New Hope Eugene, if you recognize another word attached to this word malice. The word all. Get rid of all Malice, And that, that, that's interesting because I think what Peter, he, he does is he comes along and he recognizes something resident in all of us. That we might get rid of like 80% of the malice in our life, but we hold on to maybe the 20% that serves us well. We hang on to maybe the 10% that allows us to get the job done in our life that we need to get done. And Peter says, get rid of all Malice. The second word that he uses is all deceit. This is, this is actually the, the, the word picture here is it's, it's a bait. It's a contrivance, an entrapping, a fraud. It's fraudulent. It's cunning. It's slyness. It's trickery. The image actually is this. It's a baited hook. It's a fishing image. Uh, so all of you fishermen out there, you're, you're tricksters. You're deceivers, right? You take this instrument of death and you wrap it with a worm you throw it in the water to bait and trick that poor little fish. Uh, my son, about 10 years ago, took me fishing and we were able to deceive about 24 fish uh, that day. It was a wonderful day of deception and deceit. I, uh, a couple of years ago, I was invited fishing with actually a competition bass fisherman. Now, those guys, they don't like to fish with rookies, like like me and but he invited me I think it was like a like a pastoral courtesy type of thing but he had like the the competition boat with the trolling motor and the foot pedal and you're standing up like what you would see on tv it was all everything you would see in a bass competition on tv that's what this was and uh we were out in the middle of the rivers kind of how this goes and we're casting toward the uh the shore and in, in kind of in the shallow waters and I'm on top of the water with this certain technique where where I have this lure see even the even the names that we have for the bait is is deceptive it's a lure and it it looked like it was a like a bloody little fish and had a couple of hooks on each end and he's down under the water and mine is very active where I kind of I'm jigging and I'm reeling in and I said listen Jeff what is the name of this technique and he said oh Brandon that's 
walking the dog. It's called walking the dog. And it's to, it's to kind of bait the fish into thinking that there's this struggling little fish up on top of the water. And the bass come up and just hammer. Bass is a very angry fish. In fact, it said that if bass were the size of humans, there would be no humans. It was a blast. It was amazing. I caught two bass fish. I looked hard for the picture. I couldn't find it, but I promise you the bass, they were like this big. This is my friend Jeff. Yeah, it's a tiny little bass. My fish were way bigger than that. But it was a great day deceiving the fish. Peter comes along and he says that that's what this is like. This word deception is like we're walking around baiting people into believing maybe something different about us, different about themselves, different about their situation. It's fraudulent. And Peter says, get rid of that. Take it off. It's a soiled garment. Number three is hypocrisy. This implies arrogance and hardness of heart. Listen to this. It's utterly devoid of sincerity and genuineness. The imagery here is that of an actor who puts on a mask. New Hope Eugene, what masks do we wear? What is it that we're trying to cover up? This, this one right here, I think you may agree with me, has done more damage to the church than just about anything else. In fact, those of you in here who are, are maybe recovering from past hurts and hypocrisy done to you uh, through the church, or you have family members, loved ones, friends who will not come to church with you today because of this very thing. Peter says, get rid of it, the hypocrisy, the mask, take it off. Word number four is envy. This is jealousy. It's spite. Evil speaking. The fifth word is slander. It's defamation. How do we talk about other people, especially when they're not around? Peter says, be very careful with that. Get get rid of all evil speaking. Friends, let me pause right there. Let me just ask you this. I'm going to probe just a little bit. What is it that you need to get rid of? What is it that you need to lay aside in your life. Maybe it's one of these five things. Maybe it's something else the Holy Spirit's kind of elbowing you and say, hey, listen, you need to take that soiled garment off. Clean up. And then he says we need to fill up. Look at verse two. Now like infants at the breast, drink deep. This is to crave. It's to long for. I think this is the pivot word. This is the chassis that our text is set on right here. It has to do with desire. What is it that we crave? God's of God's pure kindness, he says, then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. That word desires to desire earnestly. It's to long for. It's a strong bent. It's something I cannot do without. Desire, drink deep of the pure kindness of God, the pure milk of the word. You know, listen, once we get a taste for something, we begin to crave it, don't we? Sugar, chocolate, uh, I, I remember uh, when, when Joy and I were planning the church in Vancouver, um, one of the jobs that I held down, I was cleaning carpets and I'm on the truck with uh, this other guy and um, we would always stop, every day we would stop at a 7-Eleven for a couple of weeks and he would always come out with a Slurpee. Um, I, for some reason, I had never had like a 7-Eleven true bona fide Slurpee. I'd had slushies, different things before, but the Slurpee, I know that sounds weird, but I just, I didn't, I, I didn't buy a lot of junk food growing up. My parents didn't entertain that and I just had never had a Slurpee and, and every day he would get one. So finally, he's like, you want a Slurpee? I said, 
sure, I'll have a Slurpee. And I had one, and I got a taste of that sugar and the ice, like 95 degrees out. And for the next 10 days at least, you guys, I was in 7-Eleven getting a Slurpee. He's like, where are you going? I'm getting, I'm getting a Slurpee. <laughs> Do you want a Slurpee? I got a craving for the Slurpee. I told I came home one night to Joy to tell her, I got to stop. This is like kryptonite. This Slurpee. Junk food. How many of you had parents who they would say this, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? And this is like an axiom for all of life. We put garbage into our minds. Garbage comes out of our heart and our mouth. We put garbage into our bodies. We feel like garbage, right? But have you ever noticed the flip side to this is that when we begin to feed on good things, it's almost like our taste buds change and we develop a taste for the healthy things in life as well. Uh, friends, I want to share with you in, in a second here, in a second, I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. I want to share with you a, uh, a little bit of my own journey. And I went back and forth. I almost pulled the plug on this illustration, but I want to use it to illustrate a spiritual point. The reason this is sensitive is because what I'm about to share of my personal journey could be misconstrued. It could be uh, misinterpreted a couple of different ways. And I want to, I want to let you know, I want to qualify this just a little bit. I'm going to share some things about my health journey, about my weight loss journey, not to set myself up as the expert and certainly not for some accolade or hand clap. In fact, I don't need any of that. That is not the reason I'm sharing this with you. I really, I really want to illustrate a spiritual point. In fact, I'm sharing this more to my discredit than to my credit. Okay, good? Okay, and I know that this is, this is a sensitive area and a sensitive subject. So there's, in, in sharing this illustration, um, it's not to place a judgment on anyone else. It's to share part of my story, part of my journey. So um, I grew up, uh, just so you know, overweight my whole life with the exception of kind of middle school and high school through puberty and all that kind of stuff. But I was, I was made fun of incessantly. Um, uh, it was called every name in the book that you could think of. And uh, then lost weight kind of through middle school, high school, playing sports. And then, and then I gained, I gained uh, a bunch of weight. So this is probably circa 2013, 2014, maybe at kind of my heaviest weight in my marriage. And then in about 2015, I dropped about 53 pounds. That's my daughter and I uh, up on the top of Mount St. Helens. We climbed St. Helens. And then um, when, when you all met me about a year and a half ago, I had gained about 30 pounds of that 53 pounds back. So, it's, you know, it's like this. Uh, probably speaks to my, you know, when it comes to food, when it comes to weight loss, all this stuff, it's, it's, it's mental for me, emotional, it's spiritual for me. Maybe not for you, but this is my story. And then at the beginning of this year in January, I went on another journey and I was able to get um, another chunk of that off. But the first pictures, Brandon, what's the point? The first pictures that you saw of me up there, this is a Brandon craving other things, craving unhealthy things, developing a taste, filling up on things that I shouldn't be filling up on. And Peter comes along and he says, rather do this like do, newborn babies crave the pure spiritual milk of the word. That word milk is actually, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting translation. It's actually logic. So we would render it this way. The pure spiritual logic 
of the word. You know, there's a mystery and a miracle to the Bible, to Jesus, and yet there's also a logic to it. There are things that make sense about it. We don't just check our brains at the door when we come to Jesus. Crave the pure spiritual logic of the word. Do we do this, friends? Do we fill up on the right things? You see, our filling up is what helps us maintain our cleanup. When we fill up on the pure spiritual milk of the word, it helps us keep those soiled garments off and out of our lives. He goes on, he says, since you've already tasted the goodness and kindness of the Lord. I think our text tonight uses the word if. I don't love that. It really should read this way. Since, since you've tasted the goodness of God, Peter recognizes that these Christians that he's writing to, they have tasted the goodness of God. That's why they turn their lives over to him. Since you've tasted the goodness of God, and when we taste the goodness of God, some of you are shaking your head yes, it's like a snowball and we don't want anything else. And finally, he says, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, clean up, fill up, and come to Jesus. Verse four, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Again, the message, welcome to the living stone, the source of life. The workman took one look and threw it out. God said it in the place of honor. And Peter would come along and say to his Christian friends who were fighting for their lives, I know that you've placed Jesus in the place of honor in your life as well. I want you to notice that word coming to him. One translation says this, as you come to him. In other words, friends, keep coming to him. It's not just once. We don't, how many of you went to school just one day and it's like, ta-da, I've learned everything I need to learn in life. Right? Or, or those of you who've worked hard to maybe get your, your body in shape. Did you show up at the gym just one time? It's like, hey, look at this body. Right? Or, or, or gentlemen with your, your spouse. Did you, did you give your wife flowers just one time and compliment her just once and just say, I've done my romantic duty for the life of this marriage? No. Those are wells that we come back to over and over and over again. Brandon, how do I do this with Jesus? How do I keep coming to Jesus? How do I fill up on Jesus? Friends, when I pray, I'm coming to Jesus. When I ask him for wisdom and insight, I'm coming to Jesus. When I attend church, it's an opportunity to come to Jesus. When I worship, it's an opportunity to come to Jesus. When I encourage someone else, when I serve someone else, when I pray with another individual, I come to Jesus. When I pause and I think, what would the Spirit of God want me to do in this situation, maybe with this person? I'm coming to Jesus. And friends, it's not just taking off and cleaning up the old garments and standing there looking at the old garments trying to protect myself in a defensive posture. That isn't what Peter's saying. He's saying, listen, we need to do that. Take all those soiled garments off Turn around and go pursue Jesus and fill up on him the living stone. And the goal isn't arrival in Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not, but we're not going to arrive fully in Jesus this side of heaven. It will happen one day. The goal is pursuing Jesus every day of our lives. 
clean up, fill up, and come to Jesus. So I want to ask you a couple questions tonight, New Hope. Um, I'm going to turn the knife just a little bit, and I want you to answer some of these questions. I, I know that one of these questions is probably one the Holy Spirit's already working on your heart. How about this question, number one? What do you crave? What are you craving in your life? How about this, number two? What do you need to get rid of? What do you need to clean up? What soiled garment do you need to take off? What have you lost a taste for? Implied in that, that you need to regain a taste for. How about this one finally? Have you stopped coming to Jesus? Have you stopped enjoying the kindness and goodness of God?